Hello, good to see you again. Let's pray. God, please help us today to honor you. Forgive us where we don't understand. Forgive us where we choose not to understand. And give us the strength to choose what we should and to understand what we should. In Jesus' precious name, amen. As we approach chapter 9, we need to see the fact that righteous Noah is just like all the rest of us. He has clay feet. He's a human. He's not perfect. He is just and righteous before God. Now the Bible says he's perfect, but remember, that word, among other things, means he continually pursues the sacrifices and the thinking that makes a man godly. But he's still a man. He is not perfect like God's perfect. He cannot be until we reach heaven and are with God ourselves. Um, but he has served God faithfully and well. And so we see him after the flood serving God, sacrificing, teaching his children, attempting to do all the good things that should be done. Now, in chapter 9, verse 20, Noah begins to be a farmer, a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. So he understands that he needs food, and so he plants a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken. Now, there's several things we need to talk about this. One, it's possible that the pre-flood canopy had higher atmospheric pressures which would have changed the uh, time that it would take for something to ferment. There was more ultraviolet protection in the pre-flood atmosphere. We don't know the time for fermenting was shortened or changed by the flood aftermath. We don't know was Noah emotionally drained like Elijah. Now Elijah, later we're gonna see, he goes to Mount Carmel and has a contest with the prophets of Baal, which are evil men. And there's a great victory over those prophets because God does miracle. But he's emotionally drained and you see him, uh, Jezebel says, well, he killed my prophets, I'm gonna fix him, I'm gonna kill him. And you see him running out in the desert and hiding. He loses his emotional strength. He loses his uh, victory. He loses his courage. And he's running and hiding out and God ministers to him. And there's, that's a wonderful story. And it's not just a story, but it's a wonderful historical uh, insight into what happens. But Elijah was the greatest prophet of his day. And yet, after he wins a huge victory, he is drained and he can't do it again. He can't stand up to it again. And remember, Dr. Charles Stanley said, H-A-L-T, if you're hungry, if you're angry, if you're lonely, and if you're tired. Well, Noah is in some ways all of these things. He's planting a vineyard, he's having success, but uh, he may have seen some lean times at first because 
the dove brings back an olive branch or leaf, but the trees are probably not all yet mature. Uh, the harvest from the olive trees is probably limited at first. They may have gone through some tough times, just like my grandparents were wonderful Christians. Well, what did they do in the um, Great Depression? Well, they trusted God like everybody else that was saved, and God got them through. But it doesn't mean that they didn't miss some meals here and there. And he's lonely. Uh, he's got his family, and I'm sure he loves them and all that, but he's by himself. In the entire world, there are eight living people. And he's tired. He spent 120 years building an ark that's now sitting on a mountain. He has spent his emotional strength. And uh, having retired, when I, when I chose to retire, it was because I knew that emotionally I could not keep doing what I was doing. Physically, emotionally, I could not keep doing it. Not at that level. I needed to do something different. Well, he's retired from boat building. But that doesn't mean he still doesn't have hopes and dreams. And so we don't know. He may not have known that the wine was as potent as it was. Uh, the fermentation periods may have changed. The way that wine acted, in other words, grape juice may have been much longer to get into the shape of fermentation before the flood. There are just a lot of things that we don't know. We do know that he was drunk and he was uncovered within his tent. Now I'm gonna say this as my granddaddy and dad said it to me. Drunkenness go with nakedness. There's a reason that worthless men love it when women drink. Because you lose your faculties of decision-making under alcohol. Um, if you research the West where there was all these <clears throat> saloons and brothels and all this stuff, you'll find that many, many women that were in those situations died as alcoholics because it's the only way they could face their job every night. And so this whole thing in, in you know, some of the spaghetti Westerns and all that, these weren't fun times. These were very sad times. Now, I hate self-righteous hypocrites that just run around putting everybody down. That's not good either. But there is a righteousness that is wholesome and winsome. What is winsome? It's appealing. Um, my grandmother was adored by everybody. And I realized not long ago that when I knew her, her face was already wrinkled. I thought it was the most beautiful face in the world. I thought, even when I started dating, that somehow, in some way, her face was much more beautiful than even some of the people I was dating. And I realized now it's because I wasn't seeing her face. I was seeing the vivacious sparkle in her eyes and the smile on her lips and the absolute soul of love that came shining through those eyes, there was very little duplicity in that woman. 
and she taught young girls uh, and everyone I've ever met that ever knew her praised her to the skies for how she taught them in Sunday school to have a good, vivacious, happy, clean, safe life. And um, she was absolutely against liquor. Well, I guess so. Liquor doesn't help you. Now, there are some medicinal helps. You want, Paul said, you, hey, you get your stomach's giving you trouble, drink a little wine for your stomach's distress sake. Yes, uh, a little bit of wine. Uh, there's some fortified wines that are very good for iron deficiency. Uh, one guy told me one time, port wine, I don't know. Some kind of wines. But they are good for some things. Alcohol is good for some things. And if you drink a limited amount, but even the other day, I'm just riding along, minding my own business, not compulsing about alcohol. They said, hey, uh, you know, two drinks a day, we're like two to four ounces a day, can be helpful for your heart and stuff. But after that, you're asking for cancer. Alcohol is not the beverage of choice for you to be good. I'll never forget, there used to be a, a set of posters. I don't remember where I saw them last, but and he used to come on a commercial too. And it shows this homely guy, you know, and this kind of homely girl, and they've got them dressed up to be even more homely. And it's, it says, uh, before you start drinking, and, and they look at each other in a no way. And it says, after you start drinking, and after one drink, they took away some of the blemishes and whatever on each of them. And then after two drinks, they took away some more. And like after four to five drinks, you're looking at Miss America and Mr. Rocky Balboa. I mean, you're looking at the, uh, the most handsome bodybuilder and the most beautiful Miss America that ever was. Why? Because alcohol takes your reasoning away. And I don't care what you tell me, I know that's a fact. And I've seen it too many times. So, Here's Noah, he gets drunk, and he's naked. It's, it's, a one, it's almost a one-to-one -one, um, relationship. And of course, we all know that drunkenness affects people differently. Some of them get angry, some of them get nice and happy and laughing, and, and then some of them just get very sad. Um, most of the drunk people I ever knew were drunk because they were sad. And in itself, that is sad. And so, Noah's not in a good state here. And it says that Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness. Now, you need to know in the Bible, sometimes the actions of the father are reported in the son, if the son follows along with it. Sometimes the action of the son is reported in the name of the father because the father's responsible for the son's actions. And it says, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren outside. Now, here's a clue. The clue is that possibly Canaan is mocking Noah for his failure. Oh, here's the great savior of the world. Here's the great builder of the ark. Here's the great, and now look at him, drunk, 
Yeah, boy, Christian, uh-huh, hypocrite. We're not sure. There's other suggestions. I'm not even going to go down that road. But Canaan did something that is not good. Uh, mocking alone is not good. Uh, and, and we live in a generation that doesn't understand this. Um, my dad did not try to boss me around as a grown man. He didn't try to tell me everything to do. On the other hand, if I went home to visit for Christmas and he said, son, I need the trash taken out. You know what happened? I went and took the trash out. Why? Because I had honor and respect for my father. Now Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders and walked backward until they got to the bed or whatever in the tent and they covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. They didn't look and stare and gawk. They didn't if Canaan had just gone in and seen it and kind of maybe did a, a double take, you know, go, what? Oh, yeah. And turned right around and went outside and said, Dad, I don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong. That would be one thing. The indication here is that he didn't do that. There's an indication here that um, he didn't respect Noah and did something to show his disrespect. Uh, probably not physical, but whatever. You honor your parents. First Corinthians 13 and first Peter four, eight says, love covers sin. It covers a multitude of sin. And in the old Testament, the word atonement is not to cleanse, but it's the word kafar to cover. The day of atonement was a covering. The blood on the mercy seat of the altar was a covering for man's sin until the New Testament where the blood of Jesus Christ, 1 John 1, 7 through 9 says, cleansing us from all unrighteousness. And when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist was saying, This man is God. Only the God-man can take away the sin of the world. The pure, spotless Lamb of God, the pure, sinless blood of the Lamb of God, given willingly for our evil. And it almost sounds like a fairy tale, but it's not. Remember, Peter said, we're not following cunningly devised fables. First John says, of whom we have seen and our hands have handled the word of God. We've shaped hands, we've hugged him. John was leaning so close at the Last Supper that he was leaning against his chest, talking to him very quietly, asking him questions and, and communing with Jesus Christ. Um, this is God. Jesus knows it's God. Jesus says he's God. This is God. And the sons honor their father's nakedness by covering it. Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sin. Only God can do that. 
There's a reason why every time Jesus heals somebody and says your sins are forgiven or something, that the Pharisees grab stones to stone him because that's what you do in the Old Testament to people who blaspheme God. You stone him. The New Testament is completely full of references to the fact that Jesus is God. And they were martyred simply for the fact that they wouldn't admit that anybody else was God. Nobody else is God. That's how they ended up on the cross. That's how they ended up being eaten by lions and wolves and everything else in the arena. That's how Polycarp ended up tied to a, a flaming stake. And um, I believe it's Polycarp that made Caesar so mad they shot him full of arrows before he could finish burning. That's how they died. Jesus Christ alone is God. He and the Father and the Holy Spirit. But on earth, we've only ever seen God through the Son. That's Hebrews. And Paul is telling you that Jesus said that he's the Son of God, the Son of Man, and Paul is saying this is God. Now Noah woke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Now look at that. Again, his younger son, but then it's actually the grandson, Canaan. And he said, cursed be Canaan, not Ham, and not Cush. Now, when you look at the children of Noah, you will find that Ham um, goes out from his father and his oldest son is Cush and Mizraim, Mizraim went to uh, Egypt. Cush is the black one. Now, Cush is not cursed at this time. Cursed be Canaan. So let's look at chapter 10, verse 15. You can see Cush's line from Ham, starting in chapter 10 uh, at verse 8. Nimrod, Nimrod's a problem. He's not a good guy, but he's not black and all this stuff. So, start please at 15 of chapter 10 of Genesis. And Canaan begat Sidon, his firstborn in Heph, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Girgashite, and the Hivite, and the Archagite, and the Sinite, and the Arvadite, and the Zimmerite, and the Hamathite, and afterwards were the families of the Canaanites spread abroad. And one of those is a Hittite. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon as you come to Gerar. Now, when we get to Joshua, you will see that after Joshua has the victory at Jericho, the people of the Canaanite lands were in absolute terror because they killed everybody. Uh, in Jericho, the only people that lived were Rahab 
the harlot, and that's grace because she becomes in the line of Christ um, and her family. And so the, the Canaanites, even the giants, were terror, terrorized. And so you had a group of people that came from a long way away, and they were of the Ite clan. Now, they weren't black. They were probably very much the same color as the Jewish people. They're from the same basic uh, stem as the Shemites. But they might have been a little bit more swarthy. Who knows? But they weren't the blacks of the Cush clan because they were down in Ethiopia. Well, they come to Joshua and say, uh, you know, we've been terribly afraid of you guys, and here's the deal. Let us just be your servants forever. Now, Noah said in chapter 9 that Canaan would be a servant in his brother's tents. And they were. Now, here's the problem. If you try to find an ike today, you'll never find them. The line is so watered out Probably over the years, some Jewish boy saw some Ike girl that was from that one tribe that was allowed to live, and he married her. And next thing you know, it's so mixed in, you couldn't find one if you want to. You can't find the Hittites, they were wiped out. You can't find the Philistines, they were wiped out. You can't find them. Joshua wiped out almost every one of those tribes, and we'll talk about why. You'll see it in... Um, the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, where God talks about the evil that these people followed, and they followed real evil. And so there's not a judgment over the whole earth, but there's a judgment of the Canaanites, and the few Canaanites that live are servants in the tents of the people of Shem. Now, it wasn't exactly slavery like we know it, but it kind of was. It, they, they cut wood and worked in fields and everything under the control of the Jewish people as long as they were recognizable as a group of people. Now, there were people, and let, I want to talk to you about truth for a minute. In, this even shocked me when I found out about it. Uh, in the Museum of the Bible... They're trying to tell the truth about how things are. There is a Bible that has the book of Exodus taken out. Why? They, the first people in America were indentured servants, and then the greedy Angolan guy and the, and the magistrate in Northampton County got slavery. And so at first, it, you know, in 1830, you have 2,700 black slave owners of black people. People don't want to talk about that, but it's true. It wasn't a good situation, but it wasn't yet as vicious. After 830, between them and 1860, in fact, it got so bad that uh, Robert E. Lee in 1850 said, this is it, I'm done. I don't like slavery anyway. He just set all his people loose. He set them free. And uh, Thomas Jackson never had any slaves. In fact, he spent his life liberating one, everyone he could get his hands on. Um, so it got really vicious, I mean, you know. But the preachers, and this is a failure, and I'm gonna admit it, some preachers, not all, because the Underground Railroad was run by Baptists and Wesleyans and 
Lutherans and Presbyterians who hated slavery. A lot of people hated slavery, South and North. A lot of people had slaves, South and North, and don't let anybody tell you North didn't have them, they did. Um, but many people hated it. The Underground Railroad was facilitated by churches. Uh, Wesleyans in particular through North Carolina built their churches close enough together that you could get a person from one to the other pretty much in a day. And the whole idea was to get them where you could hide them so you could get them to freedom. Preachers, some of them, preached that black people didn't have souls. Well, if you want to preach that, I'm going to tell you something. I've met some white peoples that I weren't sure they had souls. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is just because somebody twists the Bible doesn't mean the twist they put on it is true. Now, I can tell you a lot of stories, but I feel like the Holy Spirit's warning me not to go too far down this road. So I'm not going to go too far down it. I'm just going to say there have been there were people that were preachers that went along with Hitler. There were some church people that went along with Lenin. There have been church people that went along with all kinds of stuff. Well, for there to be hypocrites in the church is not new. And there's a Bible that didn't even have Exodus in it because they didn't want the black people to read about the Exodus because the Exodus... Uh, if you read a lot of, if you listen to a lot of spirituals, they were called Negro spirituals. The word Negro is just the Latin word negre, means black people. It didn't become a problem until somebody used the N word as something else. <laughs> and when I was a kid, if you used the N word, brother, you'd get like that movie, a Christmas movie, the poor guy standing there with an ivory soap in his mouth. Well, you'd get 15 bars in your mouth. Uh, you wouldn't be able to eat anything for six days because everything you ate would have soap on it and it would just go right through you. I mean, my parents didn't play. And my dad helped guys get hired to jobs that people said they'll never get hired. Well, dad saw to it that they did. He helped them because they deserved it. Not just because they were a color, because they deserved it. They worked for it. They earned it. But he was very tender in his heart toward uh, people that he felt like we're not getting a fair shake. And it didn't matter what color they were. He, he told a guy one time, he says, I don't care if you're from Mars, got antennas that are green, got orange eyeballs on the end of them. You go down on that ship and do the job and I'll treat you right. I don't care what, where you're from. I don't care what your color is. I don't care. My job right here is to supervise code 135 in the Norfolk Naval Shipyard and see to it that we don't put an aircraft carrier out there with a bad steam valve and a guy's supposed to launch um, a $50 million airplane off that thing and it goes into the drink and then the thing's going so fast to make sure they got enough wind to get up on the air that if it goes in the drink off the front of the ship, the ship's gonna run over it, ruin that airplane, but worse than that, kill that poor pilot and it's not his fault because you didn't do your job and make sure that weld on that thing was right. Dad didn't care. If you were a purple welder, fine and dandy. Just do a good purple weld. I don't care. Make sure that uh, valve or that connection or that hole or whatever is not going to leak, not going to break, not going to pop. Make sure you do x-ray and you do uh, ultrasound and you do uh, 
uh, ping tests and you do red dye tests and you do magnaflux tests and you do every test on the sun and you make sure that those boys that go to their work out there are safe. You make dead sure that that ballast valve on that submarine is not going to fail when they need to emergency blow and get that submarine out of the water. Now, I haven't talked about a black worker, white worker, green worker, orange worker, because it doesn't matter. Cush was black and God didn't care. God put in the genetics of Adam and Eve the possibilities of every color that exists. Some of the finest people I have ever met after World War II, Toshiko's living in grandmom's house. Japanese. A lot of people hated them. Called them slanted-eyed and yelling all that stuff. No. They're beautiful. Chinese people are beautiful. Indonesian, Indian, African, yes, Caucasian. Red and yellow, black, blue, orange, white, it doesn't matter. They're precious in Jesus' sight. God put in the genetics of Adam and Eve all the colors of the races that exist today. They were already there, latent. They probably would have come forward as time went on anyway. In fact, I'm sure they would have. I don't know how. I don't know in what situation. But this passage has nothing to do with God cursing black people. They're not cursed. There's nobody alive in the earth today that you can identify that has enough Canaanite blood in them that you can identify and say, this person is cursed to be a servant of anybody else. George Washington Carver was a servant of everybody but in such a free, holy, and wholesome way that he is one of my all-time absolute heroes. Why? He said himself, don't measure me from where I am. Measure me from the depths from which I have come. But he also said, don't hate. The day will come when the haters will destroy themselves with their hatred. He was not given some of the recognitions and things that he could have had. But you know what? He got his recognition from God Almighty. He said, Mr. Creator, why did you make a peanut? And Mr. Creator said, this is why. And then he shared it with everybody. He wouldn't take patents. He didn't want to be rich. Edison tried to hire him he said, I might forget my people. But when he said my people, you need to know that his little Model T truck with his little school in it would stop at every farm. He didn't care what color you were. If you were a Cherokee Indian with a farm, he'd stop. If you were a white person with a farm, he'd stop. If you are a black person with a farm, he'd stop. If you are a guy from from a camp, former camel driver from Egypt. He would stop. He didn't care. He cared about the human soul. And the human soul doesn't have a color. 
The human soul is created by God in God's image. And it's not a matter of color. It's a matter of light and dark. Dark meaning shadow. The depths of night where people concoct evil. It's about are you filled with God's light? Or are you filled with Satan's darkness? And so Canaan's curse was not a, it was not a final ending curse. But you will see God's law. Because the problem with Canaan was an attitude. And it's an attitude he taught his children so that by the time Joshua came back, when Joseph is sold into Egypt, there's a mention there that God's going to give them 400 years. 400 years is how long they were down in Egypt. And after that amount of time, there arose a Pharaoh who didn't know these cats. He didn't know the history and he didn't care. These people were successful and they were getting uh, multiplying. They were getting numerous. And he began to worry about them politically. Instead of asking them to go back to Canaan, where they came from, and saying, I'll help you, I'll send an army to help you, make sure you get settled. No, 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 no. He started persecuting them. And he turned them into, oh, slaves. Well, Mizraim's not black and Jews aren't black. So, slavery has no color. It's an economic oppression by whoever wants something for free. And it's always been, a lot, many times it's been, if you were powerful enough militarily, you take people, you take them slaves. They used to kill them all. Go, what are you doing that for? Well, it's a lot of free labor. So then they would take them back slaves. Rome was, the, the slaves would come dragging behind in chains and then they'd be sold. And uh, Many of the teachers in Rome were Greeks who were made slaves and turned into uh, tutors for the senators in Rome. It's not about color. God loves each race. He doesn't care. I see all the time brown children that are absolutely amazing. And I see white kids and I see Indian kids, both from India and Native American. I taught in school for a while where some of the names of the roads were Seneca and Shawnee. Well, guess what? These people, many of them, had Indian background. When they came to class, it didn't make any difference. I just wanted to know, can you hold this vowel correctly and can you sing this G while they're singing this E? Because if you can, yay, and if you can't, no. And I don't care. And the idea that you can or can't perform this because of your race is just absolutely stupid. Some of the most talented kids I've had were for, from various races. It's not about race. It has never been about race. And the Bible does not ever exonerate preachers who are racist. That has always been an abomination in the sight of God. Jesus said, you let the little kids come to me. 
Now, many of them that day were Jewish kids because of where he was standing. So let me wrap it up with this. And I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. And I'll probably say it many times again. Because we have a problem with some people. And it doesn't matter. We got, we got people who are white hating black and all everything. Black hating white and, and green hating orange or orange hating chartreuse and chartreuse drinking lemonade till they turn pink so they can become green and, and people eating carrots so they can turn orange so they can be like somebody. No. You love yourself like Christ created you to be. Nobody but George Washington Carver could have done what he did because he was created by God and brought to a place in history where that was his job and he did it. And you don't know my father's name, but I watched him reverse the oppression of many people. Many. Well, was he a famous politician? No. Like his father before him, he worked in the shipyards. But what he did in the shipyards is a marvelous story. And he had friends of every color and every, it didn't matter. It just didn't matter. And he had respect. He had things that you can't buy because he lived with honor. And I don't care who you are. My grandmother said this because we lived on the wrong side of the wrong railroad tracks when I was a kid. She said, listen to me, mister, I don't care. I don't care how poor we are. You can buy a three cent bar of soap and you can wash yourself and you can take, if you have to use that same bar of soap and get in that tub and you can rub that soap up and down on your jeans and your shirt and you can wash them out and you can be clean tomorrow morning and not stink. And if you got a hole in your jeans, why here's a bob and a thread and here's a needle. You go sew that hole up in your jeans and you be a presentable person. And here, young man, here is a Bible. And they gave us a Bible. It's funny, in my family, before you could breathe hard, you got a Bible. And she said, you can take this word of God and you can cleanse your soul and you can be bright and white, light, clean and pure, just like Clorox has been cleaned you. Your soul can be as clean as a Clorox floor. Your soul can be as clean as anything you can imagine. Your heart can be squeaky clean before God and you can live an honorable life. I don't care what we can't afford. And the truth of it is, some of the best days of my life are memories of those houses that were not well built, they were not warm. Uh, I can tell you stories about breaking the ice out of the commode in the morning to use the bathroom because it's not good to leave ice in a commode. I'm telling you that right now. That was cold. Now it didn't stay there. My dad got a better job and, and my granddad got a better job, but times have been hard. Didn't matter. I don't care who you are and how bad it is, Christ can help you build something better. But you've got to think biblically. Everybody is the same in God's sight. And if God has blessed you with the intellect that you're rich, fine. 
You start a business where you don't make a penny. You go out and you entrepreneur a business where you find a way to use it to train people who can't get up in life and you give them dignity by hiring them and teaching them and building a business and eventually you turn that business over to the first three guys that you hired that, that have earned the right to know how to run a business and you tell them you keep hiring people and training people and then you take your millions and you go out and you start another business. That's how people get up in life. My dad saw to it that people got better jobs when they deserved it. And uh, I think I've mentioned that before, so I'm not gonna go into it here. But I am gonna mention to here, nobody, but nobody that's ever been alive has been determined by God that they had to be a slave. The Canaanites were cursed by Noah because of their attitudes. And by the way, if you study even in the Old Testament where it looks like everything's just about Jews, no, it's not. Anybody that turned to Christ, or not Christ, but anybody that turned to the truth in those days, because they didn't know about Christ in particular yet, could, could come to God. That was a Jew's job. In the Old Testament, red and yellow, black and white, you could be a proselyte. Hey, I never did that before. That's pretty good, Rowan. Red and yellow, black and white, you could be a proselyte. You could know God if you wanted to. There's no prejudice in God's word. Old Testament, you could get saved. New Testament. And so the last thing I'll say is, I've said it before. Philip's having this great revival. He's probably eating fried chicken every night and having milkshakes. It's great. And God says to him, go out to the desert. There's no crowds in the desert. I'm not going to get any milkshakes or anything in the desert. Unlike Jonah, Philip listened. He goes down to the desert and he sees a chariot. And this guy in it. It's a black guy. He's an Ethiopian. And he's reading Isaiah. And Philip runs up and runs him beside the chariot. And he says, hey, you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, well, yeah, I understand the words, but I, I can't figure this deal out. Philip says, well, can I get up in the chariot? Sure. And he teaches him from Isaiah who Jesus Christ is. From the virgin birth in 714 to the Son of God who is God himself and whose government will never end in 9-6. And on and on he goes to Isaiah 53, the suffering Savior, all of it. And the Ethiopian says something very insightful. He says, hey, there's a bunch of water over here, this oasis. Can I get saved? Can I get baptized? Sure, if you believe, I do. Okay, so he goes over there and he baptizes him. And he goes down to Ethiopia and the oldest continuous. Now, Jerusalem was the first church, but it got obliterated in AD 70, people left. They went other places because the Romans got rough. The Coptic church is the oldest continuous church in the world. The one that physically is still there. That's black people. So don't tell me that anybody in this universe has to be a slave. That is human greed. 
and it doesn't matter what color you are. Greed is greed. Hate is hate. And the love of God is the love of God. And I've seen the love of God obliterate color. You don't see it anymore. It doesn't matter. Sure, there's different cultural things, but we can learn to understand and love each other in our cultural differences. As long as they're biblically, not they're not sin, who cares? This, this passage way back in the Old Testament is one of the most important in the entire Bible. Because if you preach with historical, grammatical hermeneutics, the silver rule of interpretation makes it very clear. There's no place else in the Bible that condemns people black, white, green, and orange, yellow. And the golden rule of interpretation makes it clear. Canaan isn't black. Cush is. And Cush is not cursed. And Canaan, you couldn't find one if you had to. So nobody in the modern day is from anybody who was cursed. And that curse was simply the, the sinful attitude of Canaan was going to cause his race of, of children to end up mostly wiped out to where they're not an issue. If you're going to be a non-issue, Canaan, because you won't do right. Lord, I hope that I said the words that you want. I know I said the concepts that you want. I know that what I said about the love of God being for all and slavery being for none and the curse of Canaan not being about black people, I know for a fact, having studied the Bible my entire life and having studied this particular idea and problem my entire life I know what the Bible teaches we are all equal in God's sight so here it is Lord help us Lord all of sin to come short of the glory of God I know that's true I know I'm a sinner and I know that the wages of sin is death I've experienced spiritual death and I've experienced spiritual life and I don't want death. It is, oh, it is so dark. And the only light is the light of, of judgment flames. I, I, don't want, I don't want anything to do with that. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's all we have to know. And it doesn't matter who we are on the outside. It matters the beauty of the human soul on the inside. And that's what God looks at. God is no respecter of persons. Help the person who's not saved to get saved. Help the person who is doubting that Jesus Christ is the Lord to see it clearly. Help the person who is promoting that Jesus Christ is not God to get saved. 
and help us as we try to serve you because we're broken sinners, but we also can be mended and healed in your word. And I thank you of the, all the times when you've helped me do the right thing in spite of my stupidity. And I pray, Lord, that these words would be your words. I pray that I'd listen to you in Jesus' name. Amen.